Hi everyone, it's Josie. If you're enjoying what we do here on Potheads Who Read, please take a moment and subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite place to listen to our podcast. Five stars will go a long way. Thank you. Okay, Sheila, what intro are we going to be doing for this? Josie, you you asked that like we have our intros planned out, like we know what we're doing with our intros. The only intros we ever know what we're doing with are when we have Christmas bells involved. Oh, I guess that's true. All right, well, I guess we're just going to discuss The 13th Tale by Diane Setterfield. just a funny thing that happened earlier and we decided to go with it sometimes I like to sound like we're a lot more prepared than we actually are today was not one of them (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh I am like vacation brain I go on vacation tomorrow I'm jealous I know I wish you were joining us but we get to see each other next month which I'm excited about I just wish it could be longer than what it actually is but Right. Um, yeah, I just am like work brain fried. So fried. Vacation mind. Uh, although I do have to work tomorrow on the plane, so. Hmm. That's a it's fun okay. time. We have a long right. weekend. We have a long weekend this weekend. Eric and Dash both do. I never have long weekends. <laughs> just saying. Mom's a long never. weekend. I was just going to say, your long weekend is just a different meaning. Like, they have a long long weekend of, like, look, leisure. We get to hang out. We don't have to, like, do anything. We have to and go school long or weekend, work. Yeah. Your long weekend is just everything runs in from one day to the next because you're just always busy doing everything. Well, and then they're home on their long weekends. And then I have that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love having them home. I really do. It's just, like... I don't have a long weekend. You're just throwing off your routine a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So, which is fine. I mean, we we should have planned to go somewhere this weekend because Dash gets two days off of school. It's kind of like their, I'm going to call it like a fall break. And then Eric, because Monday's a national holiday, Mm -hmm. he gets, he's getting Monday. I think he's getting Monday and Tuesday off too. So, like, they both got the, they both got a long weekend. Wow. We did not plan to do anything, but we really need to work on our rental. Hopefully, that rental. I I never get a long. I would do though. I'm not a mom, but I never get a long weekend unless I schedule my days off to be a long weekend. And it's always and then if it's if it's scheduled, that means I have plans, which means I'm just gonna be going, 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 going the whole time. So it's not really a long weekend. Yeah, like I'd say, like my long weekend is really just like would be we take a vacation or a trip to go somewhere. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, it is what it is. We'll get there. Yeah. I mean, maybe you guys could just do, like, a pop-up quick trip or something. Maybe. I think Eric might want to go back to the farm, the fall festival place we went to last weekend. 
Oh. <laughs> it looked like you guys were having so much fun, though. We, we did. We did oh, have fun. So, I don't know. We may go back out there, which would just be like a little day trip or... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we're going... We have a couple things planned. Um, The beginning of November, which I know this is coming out in November. So, the beginning of this month for all our listeners, I'm going to... Myrtle Beach for my husband's um, Marine Corps birthday ball, and we decided uh, to take decided to take the weekend and take Dash with us and stay there the whole weekend. And we'll go to they have a a dinner show that's pirates and mermaids. So it's kind of like medieval times, but it's pirates and mermaids. That so sounds like so much fun. We're gonna do that and. I don't know. I got it. Maybe we'll go putt putt and do some other fun beach touristy things that it's November and nobody's there. So it'll be nicer. Yeah. Maybe not nicer, but it'll be less busy. (laughs) And then um, the following weekend, which is a very important weekend in our household because it's my son's birthday. Yes. We are meeting you. In North Carolina. Yay. So at the Renaissance at Fair. At the Renaissance Fair. And we're and we, I, we talked to Andy. It's, I yeah, think coming, I'm right? I'm almost positive Andy's coming. It's like probably like a ninety-five to ninety-eight percent. It's really high because he was like, Hey, you can stay at my family's house. Oh. And I don't think he would have offered that if he was not going. So I think it's a really good sign. That he, he's going to be joining us. For sure. Now we just got to get him to dress up. I know. I keep, I keep asking him. Maybe I can talk him into it. Maybe, Andy, maybe I should make him a Han Solo outfit. Because <laughs> it's Han Solo season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we were laughing pretty hard at that meme today. Yeah, Andy and I are actually... So, this... Since this is coming out in November, so last month, Andy and I went to Vegas. That's actually the vacation <laughs> I'm getting ready for to go to tomorrow. We're going to Vegas, and maybe I can talk him into it this weekend. We can find some stuff and be like, look, this will be so much fun. It'll totally work out. It'll be a blast. You got this, Andy. Uh, yeah. I am really excited, though, for my vacation. We got all of our tickets. Andy and I aren't gamblers. We're going to Vegas for a a wedding for one of my friends. and They're going to Cirque. Yeah, we're going to go see Cirque du Soleil's O, which I love the music for the show. I've been in love with the music for the show since college, and I've never had a chance to see it, so we're finally getting to see it. We're going to go see Gwen Stefani, who I love. Oh, is she? Does she she's, have a regular concert there, or does she have, like, a, a venue? She's residency. Yeah. Oh, I didn't, she has I didn't realize that. Yeah, I actually thought, because when we were originally looking at this trip, we were looking up who had residencies down there, because and there's been some artists that Andy's wanted to go see. Has he ever mentioned it on the podcast before, like, how into music he is? And he goes to, like, tons of concerts. He's... he. I don't know Uh, what you're talking about. I know. I mean, I know you hear him sing all the time, but but we don't ever really sing on the podcast because we don't have rights to any of the songs. Well, I mean, like, uh, (laughs) I think he's talked about, like, concerts occasionally. Yeah, some concerts that he's gone to, but he's, like, he gets real picky about his music. 
And his and my taste do not match hardly at all, <laughs> ever. I remember when Andy and I first met, we each sent each other CDs of, like, we burned CDs back when everybody had, like, a CD burner and stuff like that. You didn't download everything. <laughs> you, um, made, you made a CD. It's like a mixtape, but a mixtape. Yeah, basically. Uh, yeah. And now we just do playlists. Yeah, exactly. But it was like he burned me a CD of some artists that he listened to, and I burned him the CD of a an album that I had been listening to so much. And he burned me a copy of Beyonce and Danity Kane, and I was like, "What are you making me listen to?" I mean, obviously, I knew Beyonce, I knew her music, but I had never owned any of her music before. Right. And I burned him a copy of the Garden State soundtrack. <laughs> Oh my god. Me too. And he he I was like, "What are you trying to make me do in my apartment to this music?" And he was like, "Have a good time, have a life." And he's like, "What are you making me do with my with this music?" He's like, "I had to turn it off. It was making me depressed." And it was at that point Andy and I were like, "Of all the things we have in common, we will never agree on music." Wait, wait, wait. So, let's Does he like Green Day? Um, or Fallout Boy. He knows some of their songs. Or Weezer. He knows some of their Weezer. songs. Weezer. Like he does not like them. Like he does not like them. No. Like I like them. No. Oh, I might have to rethink my friendship with him. I know. I've had this conversation <laughs> with myself several times. Because, I mean, I love, like, I love, like, alternative music mm-hmm. and rock bands, like, all that stuff. And Andy appreciates it. But it ha- it's, like, a real fine line of what he'll listen to. So and he's, like, oh, yeah, like, one of my absolute, absolute favorite songs came out when we were in high school is Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. I love 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 that song and he was like no it just he's like it's so depressing I'm like but it's so beautiful with the I was like it's isn't it just like kind of hauntingly beautiful like the violins and he's like no (laughs) it's not I'm like okay yes it is (laughs) you're just looking at it differently than he's looking at I know. Uh, you're using. Right. You're looking yeah. at it musically, m- musicality. So, yeah. And he's he probably lives musicality. Yeah. And he wasn't. I don't think. He I likes. Could be wrong. He likes to dance. He likes. He likes the like. I love music because I like to escape into it, and I like how it makes me feel, and I like to feel all the emotions. And I don't know if people can tell, but I'm a tiny bit dramatic. Um, and so I like that. He is that way as well, but he uses the music to really escape, and so he likes music that's just, like, always upbeat and happy. And That like, makes him feel good. Yeah. So... I'm, like, I'm okay to be depressed a little bit. I will say... Andy is not super excited to see Gwen. I am. I've always loved No Doubt. I love oh. her solo albums. I'm really super excited about this. And then we're actually going to go see Penn and Teller as well. And neither one of us are really super into magic, but we feel like the icon of it, like these guys are icons that we feel like if there's a magic show to see in Vegas, like they're the show to see. So kind of funny story about songs that like are kind of sad, but I think they have like a following kind of. Uh Uh-huh. Did you ever see Donnie Darko? 
Yes. You know, Mad, you know Mad World? Yes, I love that song. It, it, right? It's a good song. So, um, <laughs> funny story. Um, the summer of 2006, my husband has been home from Iraq, I don't know, a month or two. It's probably about two months because I think it's August. And I come home. Okay, so sorry. Leading up to this, like in May before my husband came home from his deployment, they had a class, like a, they called it a debrief for me, like kind of what to maybe expect from my husband. He may come back a little different, a little changed, um, mm-hmm. just look like they, so you, I just get, I was a little hyper aware of changes and things yeah. like PTSD and depression and stress, like, cause it's a big difference coming from war to a normal life coming back home. Yeah. And I came home from like the grocery store or something and he's playing video games. Okay, fine. That's what he does. And he has or the song Mad World playing when I come home and I thought, "Oh, he's just listening to the CD or the soundtrack or he's just got music playing." Mhm. And I put stuff away and then I think I go outside and grab some more stuff or whatever and I come back in and I'm like, I know this song is not this long mm-hmm. and I've heard it at least three times since I've been home. So like, I don't know, like <laughs> I've been home less than 10 minutes and it's probably, it's probably like on its third time playing. Yeah. And I stop and I pop my head into the room that he's in and I'm like, um, Hey, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, why? And I'm like, I don't know, you have kind of a really sad, depressing song playing over and over again. And he's like, I just like it. I'm like, okay. (laughs) They just told me to be aware of weird stuff. And this was coming at me (laughs) just a little weird for you. (laughs) I mean, I didn't say it like that, but I was like, well, it's just not normal for you to, like, listen to a song over and over again. He's like, I just like it. And I was like, that's fine. I'm sorry. Blame FCCS and the Marine Corps for, like, making me think that you have PTSD. Right. (laughs) I mean, no, I was just going to say, but yeah, so it's just kind of like that where, I mean, like I said, I really love that song, but it's just one of those things. I'm totally that person who could just sit and listen to one song on repeat for, like, 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can do that, too. It's just that song's a little droopy and I could see the concern. Although I do have to agree as somebody who has been in several conversations with you and Eric and the three of us have hung out several times. Right. Eric does not like to repeat things. He does <laughs> when we were camping that one time, <laughs> he was like, it's, it's one o'clock in the morning and we've now started this conversation for a third time. I'm going to bed. <laughs> See, and that was the thing is like he doesn't like repeating like I remember being in the car or truck I don't know we were driving somewhere and we were he's like put some cds in or put a cd in yeah. and he played a song like we couldn't even listen to the whole cd like so for me I don't know how it is for a lot of people but like I buy a cd and most of the time I buy soundtracks I don't buy like a cd mm-hmm. because it has one song I like on it like I'll buy a soundtrack usually because there's like 15 songs on it that I love whereas like I can buy somebody's album and there's only like one song I like and then I'm Phil Jett 
<laughs> so that's me. Or unless it's Green Day and I just love all of them usually. Yeah. Um, but he, he would we would put it in and he'd listen to one song and then like, oh, I'm getting into it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I like this. And then he'd change it before the song was over. And like, I was just like, why did you even ask me to put songs in or CDs in if you're not even going to listen to them? Um, and so that was... <laughs> Mm-hmm. So like it was just like I the, the history that I had had with him prior to that regarding music yeah. was kind of funny and like he, me like I could play I put my CDs in my car or in my CD player and he's like it's like and you're listening to Center Stage soundtrack again yes yes I am he's like <laughs> that's a great soundtrack though <laughs> right <laughs> I that's great. <laughs> I know so it was just really funny that he you know he gives me a hard time to like and the thing is, is I listen to it start to finish and then when it repeats I listen to it start to finish so yeah it's just I, funny. I'm like that I like to listen when I get a new album I like to listen to every single song and the entire album once through and then I'll listen to it again and I'll pick up the ones that I like and the ones that I really like I'll repeat one time and then move on to the next song. And then I just start to play the songs that I love over and over. Andy's the same way. He listens like I was with him when he got a new CD and it drove me bonkers because we were like in his car and he was like skipping forward. I'm like, you literally didn't even hear them speak. And he's like, oh, I don't like the hook on the music. I'm like, you're nuts. I can't. I can't with you. Um, but he is, he's like, not as excited, but I am super excited. And he actually was like, oh, Gwen is this weekend. And I was like, wait, what? Gwen is actually in town. And he's like, I should not have said that out loud. Because <laughs> then yeah. I was like, can we please go see Gwen? No. And that's all I kept saying to him. That'll be fun, um, though. I, I think she's yeah. a, fun, a fun. Have you watched her before? I've seen clips of her, sh- um, of her performances. But you haven't seen I, her live. I've never seen her live and I've met people who have seen her live and they talk about how great of a a show she gives. And, um, I saw like on her Instagram story when she was first starting her residency, she was posting like a lot of her costumes and a lot of clips from her shows and fans clips and stuff like that. And it looks like it's going to be a really good show. So that'll be fun yeah I'm excited I'm also really excited I already told Sheila this but um I already bought Sheila's birthday present for next year yeah I'm totally and I got them I got them in today or yesterday and it's really funny because I knew that you and I had very similar taste in music but I think because we've always listened to soundtracks we've never actually talked about bands right and so I jokingly like because <laughs> I, I honestly was saying it jokingly because I knew Andy didn't like the bands. Right. And so I jokingly was just like, who wants to go to Green Day Fall Out Boy and Weezer with me next year in August? <laughs> and I was Skyping with Sheila and Andy and Sheila's like, me, me, I am a huge Green Day fan. Pick me. Them. Pick me. Pick me. Pick me. And I was like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Because you're as hyped up about this as I am and that's amazing. Yeah. So I'm like really super excited to go see yeah. it with you. It'll be awesome. I'm excited. I know. I I loved I've loved Green Day since I was in junior high and Weezer since I was in junior high. Have you ever seen them live? No, I've seen none of them live. Okay, you want to know who I've seen in concerts? 
my life is really like quite sad concert wise um garth brooks long time ago okay that's amazing yeah i remember when he came through i saw Uh, him sorry total side note as a as a child one of my first concerts that i went to was for my sister's birthday and she loved the juds and garth brooks opened the juds on the farewell tour and that's when we saw garth brooks anyway go ahead so garth brooks brian adams Casper, I wanted to go to that concert. My parents wouldn't let me. Awesome. Night. It was a school night. Barry Manilow. My brother, <laughs> so he came to Casper, and my brother was in the, the college choir, and the choir was, like, singing backup for him on a song or two or three. I don't remember. And so my parents um, were obviously going to go, obviously because they right. like Barry Manilow, but also because my brother was singing and performing. Right. And, that meant, I think, was I 15? I think I was in ninth grade. 15-year-old Sheila had to go to Barry Manilow, which he wasn't horrible. It wasn't bad. Like, it's just a different style of music. Andy and I um, were looking at Barry Manilow tickets, and we both were like, I feel like I should see him because he's an icon. And right. I was like, I literally know one of his songs, and I don't even know the whole thing. Is it Mandy? Yes. <laughs> That's the only one I know, uh, so I'm like, I can't, we can't go, yeah. we gotta find something else. Um, okay. okay, so I did Barry Mellow, who else did I see? Did I see anybody else in junior high and high school? I don't remember, junior high, high school, college, I saw nobody because I had no life. Then when I got to 29 Palms, I got to see Foreigner. Okay. Which is a great story because Leonard Skinner was supposed to come. And one of the guys had emergency appendicitis surgery, appendectomy, I guess is what it's uh-huh. called. And so they couldn't come. And so they called Foreigner, who was in Australia, just finished up a, a performance or their tour in Australia. be like, hey, do you want to come to 29 Palms, California, be here Saturday and perform for 20,000 Marines and their families? And they said yes. And that was, I think, Thursday night. They hopped on a plane. They got here. I think they got here, like, Friday or Saturday morning. And they performed for us. It was probably one of the best concerts I've been to. Like, because, uh-huh. like, I, you know, you grow up with Foreigner. Or yeah. you and I, you know, like, I was, like, we're 80 babies. So, like, we right. kind of grew up with them. And then, um, so that was, like, a really awesome concert. And then we saw Big and Rich and... Dirk Bentley before Dirk Bentley got real big and then mm. I feel like I've seen somebody else and I don't remember who so my, I like feel, I said I feel my, like you've listed off six concerts I don't, right not been six, so or, concerts. six or seven I've been to more concerts than that in probably the last year and a half two years I love live music my sister my parents went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in um Ohio a couple years ago and my sister they were with my sisters I couldn't make the trip and my sister was like I don't normally buy you something this expensive it was a $50 sweatshirt Uh uh-huh and she was like but this is literally your life I had to buy this for you and it says (laughs) I work for concert tickets (laughs) And the words are all in block lettering, and it looks like a bunch of, like, ticket stubs oh, all fun. over that fill up the, the thing. And she was like, 
I I had to get this for you. She's like, I could not not get this for you. Yeah, I it's not that I don't want to go to concerts. It's just sometimes it's it hard. Hasn't, sometimes. Yeah. Well, let's be, oh, so I moved to Laramie. We really didn't have any concerts there. Yeah, no venues. Um, I moved to Twenty Nine Palms. Didn't hey. You saw Foreigner. I, I, but, I saw Foreigner mm-hmm. and I saw Dirk's, but they came in and that was just a special, like, those were special performances for military. So, like, yeah. totally lucky that I happened to be stationed at that base. And then, um, and I, I mean, I lived in Japan and they sometimes had concerts or had people come and do concerts, but I think, like, they always came and, like, I, I don't know what I like. I think I missed a couple or no, they had them when I was out of town. Like I think Smash Mouth came one time and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, was, that would be fun. Or it was after that. it was after I moved or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was like I, either I was gone, like traveling or it was after I had moved from Japan. Yeah. And then, um, then there was I mean, I could have done stuff in D.C., and Monterey, or not necessarily Monterey, but it's just, I guess sometimes we just decided to do other things. Like, right. I, we like to go to plays, so, like, when we could, we would go do a play at the Kennedy Yeah, Center or, I mean, or, I feel like it definitely also reached a point where you have to make plans with a family, and I'm like, I'm going to go to this concert and see if a friend wants to go with me. <laughs> you know, I was actually really sad. I've I missed out on seeing the Red Hot Chili Peppers in Philadelphia. I had made plans with some girlfriends to go over there for the concert, and I had an opening. Chris Ledoux. I saw Chris Ledoux before oh, he passed away a few years yeah. before he passed away. Maybe five, maybe yeah. five or five or six years before he passed away, but I saw nice. him before he got sick. Yeah. Oh. That would have been good, too. I know. I've been to all sorts of concerts. I mean, I, like, as many concerts as you've probably been to, I've probably seen Chris Young that many times. Because one of my friends was obsessed with Chris Young, and he used to come to, like, one of the bars that's in Chicago that we used to go to a lot called Joe's. Joe's on Weed Street. Um, He used to perform there a lot, and we would uh, go to see him a lot. And I saw him at Wrigley. I saw him at, like, Windy City Smoke Fest, like, Smoke Out or something like that. So I've seen him a lot. But I, like, I love going to concerts. Actually, it was really funny. The first time my friend wanted to go see Chris Young, I had never heard of him before because I don't listen to country music. But as a rule of thumb, I will always go see any genre of music live. Right. Because I think live music just gives off this energy that just fills the soul totally totally and it's a totally different vibe it's like it's just a totally different experience so even if I don't listen to a genre of music I will always give it an opportunity which is why I was like willing to go see Barry Manilow I would never listen to that but I was like I would go see that because he's an icon like whatever so anyway my friend Christy's like 
oh, this I, I fell in love with this guy. He was on Nashville Star. <laughs> we have to go see him. I'm like, whatever. And she's like, Joe's on Wheat Street. I was like, oh, okay. So, I mean, it probably will sell quick, but we should be fine at the door if this guy's like no name or whatever. <laughs> we get to the door. There's literally a line wrapped around the block. And she was like, oh, yeah, well, he is here with somebody, but I don't know the other guy. I was like, okay. And we get to the door, and they were, like, there There was a ton of people in us who all got denied at the door. They were like, we're completely full. Mm. If you don't have a ticket, you are not getting in. We're full capacity. And we were like, oh, okay. And we're sitting there talking, and... I was like, wow, I'm just kind of surprised that this, like, sold out so quick for, like, some unknown artist. And I came to find out that the other person that Chris Young was opening for was Tim McGraw. Oh, yeah. Oh, I saw Tim McGraw. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about Tim McGraw. It was so funny, though, because I literally looked at my friend and I'm like, Christy. How do you not know who Tim McGraw was? We should have gotten these tickets a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Even for Chicago. Because Chicago is like, it, like, Chicago's known for, like, jazz and blues and, like, all this stuff. And nobody thinks of, like, Chicago for country music. But there's a huge following for country music here. And the country music stations like 95.5, they bring in a lot of artists and they promote really well. They do huge things. Like Windy City Smokeout is like a barbecue like festival, like weekend festival, where it has three stages set up and it's nothing but country artists that come in. And it's like underneath like a bridge next to the river. Like it's so freaking cool. But I just looked at her I was like Tim McGraw I was like Christy I don't even listen to country music anymore side note I used to be a huge cowgirl only listened to country only did all this stuff that's all I would listen to and then I stopped and I don't listen to country music anymore I was like I even know who Tim McGraw is I'm like don't kiss the girl that was his first major hit well and that point that's the what that that's the concert uh tour I gotta see was that yeah. one when shortly after that song came out and that's why I was like mom I want to go he's coming to town and yeah um and that's the one I went to I, it's so funny I forgot Tim McGraw funny yeah. but she was like I just I don't think I've ever heard of him and I was like Faith Hill's husband and she's like him that's who this I was like girl yeah. you need to go catch up on your country music and then we started well because we did not get in the concert we ended up going to a different bar and I just like totally schooled her on who Tim McGraw was and then like all the movies popped up and she's like I love that movie I love that movie she's like I didn't know it was him I was like oh my gosh I can't even believe you right now it was hilarious actually to stop talking about concerts because I feel like I could keep just talking about this let's actually discuss what we came here to discuss before we discuss what we came here to discuss though I do have a fun Harry Potter fact for us this is I hope everybody sees the parallel between this Harry Potter fact and the book that we're about to discuss but I I do like to try to relate them a little bit um so this this fact came from today I found out.com 
And this is our Harry Potter fact. This is based off the movies. Daniel Radcliffe's stunt double through the first six Harry Potter films is David Holmes. And he was paralyzed from the waist down during the sixth film while practicing a flying scene that included an explosion. It's kind of sad. It is sad. And I honestly, I had heard before that he had had... An accident, yeah. Um, that one of his stu- stunt doubles had an accident. I actually found a picture where it shows him sitting next to somebody, and the media was like, kind of like slamming Radcliffe about something, and he was like, "That's my stunt double, who was injured," and he like totally schooled him, and the media was like, "Oh, sorry." Um, later days, but I had seen that, but I did not realize like what scene it was or like how it happened I just heard that he had gotten into an accident yeah I had never I I had heard at one point about it but I didn't know the extent of the injuries yeah and I didn't realize it was so late in the series yeah for some reason I thought that it happened um on like one of the earlier movies and he had just come in contact with them Wow. earlier meaning like not the sixth movie like the fourth or fifth movie not the first one not when he was a babe all right sheila are you ready to discuss this book yes let's do it all right so just as a reminder for everybody we are discussing the 13th tale by diane setterfield here's the quick synopsis of the book this uh, we found the synopsis through like Kindle and Am- like Amazon Kindle, and it says, "Sometimes when you open the door to the past, what you confront is your destiny." Reclusive author Vida Winter, famous for her collection of twelve enchanting stories, has spent the past six decades penning a series of alternative lives for herself. Now, old and ailing, she is ready to reveal the truth about her extraordinary existence and the violent and tragic past she has kept secret for so long. Calling on Margaret Lee, a young biographer, troubled by her own painful history, Vida disinters the life she meant to bury for good. Margaret is mesmerized by the author's tale of gothic strangeness, featuring the beautiful and willful Isabel, the feral twins Adeline and Emmeline, a ghost, a governess, a topiary garden, and the devastating fire. Together, Margaret and Vida confront the ghosts that have haunted them while becoming, finally, transformed by the truth themselves. So, this was my pick this month. It was. And... (laughs) I was trying to remember why I picked this book. <laughs> even even reading it, I was like, why did I pick this book? Um, um, I, well, I kind of remember the conversation. You're like, I was thinking this one or this other one. And, and you said you wanted more of a classic like this one had a classic feel and then I yeah. can't remember what your uh, your classic choice was to be honest and I you're like, was like this has a classic feel I think I did well and part of it I this think one, it was like the three musketeers oh, or yes. this and so and, it was going to be like legit classic yeah. for this book and then you were like this one's free on 
Kindle Unlimited or something like that. And I was yeah. like, let's do that one. And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay. So to be fair, <laughs> I was like, why did we pick this book? I have been looking at this book and wanting to read this book um, since it kind of debuted. Like, I got it as an email from Amazon that were, like, books that we thought you might like um, based off of, like, previous books that I've looked at or whatever. Right. So when it when it was, like, first kind of, like, coming out really big, I did get a ton of emails for it. I was in a bookstore. It was on an end cap. Honestly, the thing that intrigued me about it was the cover. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, what's the 13th tale? Because right. even just, like, the cover, it's so, like, the cover is so simple. It's just, like, yeah. a stack of books with a with a bookmarker coming down. But it's, like, the font, the coloring, like, everything. Yeah. It looks mysterious. It looks majestic. And it did really just appeal to me. And I do remember reading the synopsis and being like, oh, this sounds like it could be a lot of fun, that there would be a lot of stuff brought into it. And I have to say that after reading it, I feel like everything and even more what I imagined this book to be is what it was. Right. But I just thought it would be, it was kind of fantasyful, but it, it had a reality to it. Yeah. Um, very human because we did just read horns we had just read horns which was hey this is this is something that could really happen but then it was like totally like left side fantasy where you're like okay well this like somebody's not really gonna grow horns like this so this kind of I felt like was like a much more realistic sort of like fantasy and it gave us a little bit of mystery and intrigue so I just kind of liked that it it encompassed multiple like genres of things that you and I enjoy. So right, yeah, that's why I picked this. Okay, great. Do you do you want to take on the thirty uh, second ish plot line? Yeah, it's been a while, but I mean, been a while since I read the book. <laughs> <laughs> so if I miss something, I'm sorry, people. Or if I mess it up, I'm sorry. So I've done two other books since then. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And if she messes it up, just go read the book yourself. Just go read it. Well, I mean, we're not there yet. We haven't. We're not gonna tell you if we recommend it or not. Okay, go. Okay. So, shoot, what's the? I just read it. Um, what's the the character's name? Not Vida, the other girl. Margaret. Margaret. I kept going Michelle in my head. Michelle's not the name. Good lord. Hey, at least it's an M. Uh, see, I was on the right track. Okay, so Margaret, her family, or her and her dad own a antique bookstore, and she comes to the bookstore, and there's a letter on the doorstep saying, come be my biographer. And she doesn't really know much about Vida Winter, who is the person that said, come be my biographer. She is a bit, uh, not Vida, but Margaret is a bit of a book snob. She only likes books from a certain period or or she only likes old books. She doesn't, they have to be classics. They can't, she doesn't like contemporary books. And she so she didn't understand why people loved Vida Winter's books so much. And her father even kind of fell in love with her, her work. And so she reads one of her books. 
and it's called the 13th tale <laughs> and there's no 13th tale in it she comes to find out then really gets intrigued by this and she decides to take the job and she goes and meets Vida and they start doing the interviewing and she starts writing the biography and she really gets into this the story she's hearing what sounds like a ghost maybe and she kind of goes hunting for it but she can't find it and she goes on to visit Vida's childhood home which she ends up meeting this giant tall man in the ruins of Vida Winter's old home they become friends she comes back and gets more of the story and I I can't I just feel like I can't go into the whole details of Vida's yeah, it's, story it's, it's really intense honest. it's intense go read the book but uh, she's getting all these stories and she's trying to figure out the mystery of who Vida is and what happened to or how the fire happened because Angelfield Manor like burnt down. So she's trying to figure that out and what happened to the the nanny or the governess, I should say. And sh- so she's trying to figure this all out. She ends up figuring out that the tall giant man is the... Um, child of one of the Angelfield twins and then um he she gets him to meet 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 his mother who his mother is not all there unfortunately she's um Mm -hmm. mentally um disturbed disturbed or Mm. she's kind of a a feral child and I don't know if there was also any um, development issues either. It was hard to yeah. know for sure in the story. And then she she dies, not because she met her son, but <laughs> she <laughs> dies. And then Vida is dying, and that's why she's doing this autobiography. And Vida dies. Margaret figures out that there's this family that you meet a couple times around the Angelfield Manor that they are the tall man's like kind of long lost sister and niece and nephew. And so it all comes together that like, while this family kind of fell apart, like 60, 70 years ago, it kind of came back together and, you know, they were brought back together and they started to feel a purpose for themselves. And she started to feel a purpose and some of her grief that she was going through, she was able to kind of work out with Vida and Vida dies and I think I already told you that and then um <laughs> yeah die. that's about it oh oh at the end she might go and or she's gonna go live with with the doctor the Vida's doctor with the cat yeah. for a while which there's a cat there's always a cat in our books we do not do this always but we really don't a cat. <laughs> there's always a cat always so uh, and so I think she's going to get married, even though she doesn't think she is. She's going to get married. All right, the end. <laughs> the end. The end. <laughs> so I'm a like, great storyteller. Great, great storyteller. No, that was good. This this plot line is really hard. I really feel like you and I could have rock, paper, scissors for who was going to do this 30-second plot line, and it would have been difficult for both of us. This uh-huh. plot line is res- reminiscent of Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman that we did last year yeah. or at the beginning of the year. Maybe worse. It's so... it's jumping from it one time period to another period. 
And location to location. Yeah. Locations, time periods, perspective, like first person perspective. Sometimes it's Margaret. Sometimes it's Ida. Most of the time it's, yeah, there's a point where you're the governess. Um, there's a couple points where you are Vida through the eyes of Margaret. Um, this plot is definitely heavy. I mean, like, Sheila gave a good outline of it, but that's literally, like, one, one outline of it. That was, that was, you, like, that Margaret. was Margaret's. I did like, not even we touch. Could, like, we could give Vida's, we could give Emily's, Malign. we could give. Adeline's. We could give everybody's timeline. And it would be, I mean, this book was, this book was not what I was expecting it to be. What was, which is not, I mean, I, that was, that was like a heavy sigh and like, oh, this was not what I expected to be. That's not a bad thing at all. I love it when books take me surprised by like this. It's just from reading it, I thought it was going to be, I didn't realize it was going to be as plot intensive as it was. So it was, it was a good surprise. Yeah. Um, what were your initial impressions? So, I did not realize this until I had started the book that I actually read one of her her books this summer, and that one's called Once Upon a River. Yes, I remember you saying which that. Which I really, really enjoyed. And I've decided, and I don't know what any of her other stories are like, any of her other books are like, but she likes to kind of do a story within a story. Or at least with those two, I've noticed mm-hmm. that. So I kind of went into it going, or f- once it started and I figured out what was happening, I'm like, oh, this, I feel like this is her thing, a story within a story. Or she likes the stories, like how stories are told, like, because she talks about it in this book and she talked about it in Once Upon a River. And, uh, but my initial impression, I really liked it. I, I'll be honest, I started reading it, I don't remember if school had started yet or if I was about to start school, or school was about to start. Life got crazy, and I decided I'm not going to be able to sit down and finish this book, because what we did not realize when it was picked, like, how ginormous this book was. Yeah, uh, I and I usually take that into consideration. I usually look at the page numbers. So this was a really big book and we just weren't expecting it. And then after I looked at how big it was, I decided it's better for me to do an audiobook this month. And so I did I listened to it and Oh, I didn't realize that. Surprise. Surprise. No, that's right. no it's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Um I just didn't realize you had done that. I feel like this would be a good story to listen to. It was. I did enjoy it that way. Not that I probably wouldn't have enjoyed it as a a, a book in hand. It's just I wasn't I just knew that I didn't have the time to sit down and read something that that large and intense. Yeah. So um and do all the other stuff I needed to do. <laughs> um but I really liked it I really enjoyed it it definitely intrigued me it had me guessing like who's who was this and who was that and oh it was a surprise like there's there's kind of like some like murder mystery-ish type yeah things and like you were always like oh maybe it's this and then you're like nope (laughs) It's not that. Or or you're like, oh, it's a personality disorder. 
and nope it's not that um so yeah like it it definitely kind of kept me on my toes of what I was I like things I wasn't anticipating like because mm-hmm. a lot of times I feel like sometimes I can read a book and I totally I'm like that's the bad dude that's the person um and this time I wasn't like that oh the twist at the end I was like what it was it was literally one of those things where you're like what because no matter what you guessed or what you thought it was gonna go like when Margaret was like, I figured it out. I was like, what? What did you figure out? I usually figure it out by now, and I don't know what you're talking about. The, the character in the book had it figured out before we had it figured out. I know, and usually there's, like, some hints and clues, and I was just like, wait, what? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she did a really great job with mm-hmm. kind of keeping you, like, not knowing Right, like, the the conclusion and, like, the big twist, like, totally came out of left field. Yeah. But it wasn't, like, so far out that you were, like, this does not even make sense and you're putting in a twist in here just to put in a twist. Right. She highlights it so well throughout the whole book. Right. That you're, like, oh, okay. Yeah. It was, and, it was really well done. It was like, really well you were... Done. Yeah, because you were talking about how there's, like, a big reveal and, like, you kind of, like, there's mystery and then it's answered. But really, you're kind of left not even fully knowing all the answers. You still don't really know. There's there's a really big piece that you're like, oh, but is it? Is it? it? But the thing that I love about it, which obviously the author did this on purpose, the whole, like, I, I feel like a big theme of her book was that, you never fully know somebody else's story and you fully don't even know your own story because you can't remember every experience that you had. There was a quote that when I was actually trying to pull up the synopsis and everything, there was a quote that came up where Vida is talking to um, Margaret. She kind of quotes it at the beginning of the book all children mythologize their birth. It is the universal trait. Trait. You want to know someone, heart, mind, and soul. Ask him to tell you about when he was born. What you get won't be the truth. It will be a story, and nothing is more telling than a story. So it's like the whole thing of her, her setup is very much set up to be you only get somebody's partial story you never get their whole truth because yeah it's just never it's not going to be possible yeah. and I love that because it just leaves you hanging like at the end of the book I mean I don't want to just jump to the end but it was so good that I kind of want to I do have a question for you about the 13th tale um towards the end of our discussion because it was okay. like at the end but um I even lo- I I like how like, in the plot, you had mentioned that Margaret read her book, The 13th Tale, and she couldn't put it down, and there was no 13th Tale in it. Yeah. And you actually end up discovering, because Vida Winter is this incredible, world-renowned author yes. in this in this book, in this world, where she has, like, 40-plus books. A bunch of and books, And, yeah. like, Margaret is not just, like picky about her genre she was like 
we don't even sell your books in our store. Like you are not the genre. You're not our clientele. You are not like, you are not the person we're trying to get in here. And there just ends up being like a case of her books that end up in their bookstore. And then all of a sudden she just can't put down the book. And she's like, I read the entire book and I didn't even realize like she had only meant she stayed up all night. Yeah. She stayed up all night reading. She only meant to, to like read a chapter or two and she was just like so encaptured in everything but um she actually ended up finding out that the book the 13th tale the copy that she read it from was actually an early release like editor's edition and it was actually a copy before it was completed yeah and Fida actually never gave a 13th tale. Like she was and going so, to, and then it just, it went to the printer before she got around to, right, to, writing, to it. writing it and stuff. And so they actually had to rename the novel or the book. Yeah. But um, that and book then, was always known as the 13th, the 13th tale. tale. And that was yeah. the mystery of it was like, what's the 13th tale? Like people are always trying to find out from Vida. I mean, sure what it was yeah Vida's everybody's always asking Vida and then Margaret gets that as well where if they're like oh she's like oh I'm her autobiographer and they're like oh do you know and she was like I wish I did (laughs) where it's like it's literally like they just look at her and they're like did you do you know right and they don't even have to complete the sentence because it's such a big mystery and that's part of Margaret and that was part of Margaret's issue with Vida is that she was so mysterious that she didn't know if she could really, um, if she wanted to put her time and effort into something that could possibly be fake because she started researching Vida and she had given basically with every book that came out, she gave some new story about her childhood and how she was raised. And Margaret, when she first meets her is like, you have to tell me three truths about your life that I can look up in public record and have it be verified as true. And she does that. And that's how she ends up actually getting Margaret to stay on as her autobiographer. Yeah. Well, she also enticed her with um, the comment about the, the, the story twins the and a ghost story. Um, Cause Margaret was a twin. Um, mm-hmm. And her sister, they were um, actually Siamese twins. And to save Margaret, they had to, I mean, do surgery and separate mm. the babies. And so she passed away, obviously, the, um, the baby, the, 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 her baby sister. Well, not her baby sister, her sister. And she found out when she was like, what, was it 10, 9, or is it 8? Um, she was... I think she was like 10 because it was the first time she was allowed to stay in the yeah. house by herself without a babysitter. It was her I, first I time. Like it was 10. And it, it's it's what every child does. The first time they're left alone in a house, they they do all the things that they sometimes aren't supposed to do, like go snooping in mom and dad's bedroom. And she found this tin with um, her birth certificate. And then she found the birth certificate of her sister and then the certificate, the death certificate of her sister. And after that, she always kind of held it against her mom that, like, how her mom felt or, you know, treated her. 
Um, but prior to that, you never really felt, um, or not prior, but it hadn't ever been talked about how her, her mom's feelings towards her. And I feel like it all changed when she, and she had feelings about why her, her mom kept it from her, which I think is funny because it wasn't just mom's fault. It was dad's fault too, but she never held, held it against dad because I mean, she, she loved her mom and she loved her dad, but she really loved her. She loved her dad. Like she was daddy's little girl. Yeah. And so I, I, I feel like there was like, she couldn't, she couldn't see anything wrong with what her dad did. The choices. Do you know what definitely, I mean? Definitely, definitely that. She did hold her mom at fault a lot more. The thing is, though, is that her mom definitely felt the loss. Her, yeah. And never expressed it and almost couldn't, like, relish in the joy of things because she was so overcome by the sadness. So it was like well, and their, the birth their birthday of- was... The birthdays were never that exciting yeah. because she was like mourning one child as yeah. she was like celebrating the other. And so she ended up, I think, unknowingly ostracized her daughter yeah. more than she would have probably anticipated or wanted or didn't even realize she was doing. Right. I agree. I also believe or feel that they wanted to tell her at some point and they just didn't know when. Yeah. And she found out before they were ready to tell her. And I think that's a hard thing. And also, like, the grief. Well, and, like, so mom also went through, um, like, mom almost didn't survive. Yeah. So there was also that traumatic event of having a very traumatic birth on top of losing one child. And so sometimes it's not necessarily right, but like your feelings when all that happens, like you can't help it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say she probably had some severe PT or um, post-traumatic stress or not. Well, she probably did have some PTSD, but she also yeah. probably had some postpartum de- um, depression um, along with that. And yeah, when definitely. this happened, that wasn't really, you know, like it was just baby blues and you didn't, you know, it's like, get over it. It's not. So I think if she had, if this had been, if that happened now, hopefully she would have gotten some mental help that she needed to make her hopefully enjoy her baby that survived more. Um, yeah. Well, it's, it's well just, it's, that's, a, that's another thing, though, because you don't really get a set time period in this. Like you get clues. Like they definitely, by the time Margaret meets Vida, there's cars. Yeah. There are cars, but they also travel by train. And And then there's no cell phones. There's no cell phones. I think it was, I feel like it might've been like the eighties or the seventies. Yeah. When the story takes place, because there's definitely like some technology, but there's some stuff that's lacking. Like construction has like progressed a lot because they're like destroying the Angel Field well, House. And, and they talked about they, World War Two. Yeah, they talked. So about it's World definitely II after on. the war, but it's not 2000 something. It's it's right. Yeah, you know, I would say 70s, 80s. But it's also, like, the reason why I bring that up and why it is important is because um, 
if you've done any type of studying of like how they treated women during that time, like there was not a lot of sympathies towards that to where, I mean, you even see it, you even see it in uh, who you eventually find out who's Vida's mother or do you find out? No. (laughs) Um, Like you find out through Vida's mother that she, I mean, she had twins. She lost her husband the family disowned her and she had just left a very abusive relationship with not only her father, but her brother. Her brother. It, was just um, very, it was kind of, it was a very messed up family. Yeah. Which is another situation of like a childbirth gone wrong. And it was like, yeah. then she had these twins. She came waltzing back after like a year And then it basically was, like, they just decided she was incompetent. And, like, she was clearly going through some, like, mental health issue stuff. For sure. From her her years of abuse and, like, getting out and then, like, coming back. And their way And even, like, what is brother doing to her now? Yeah. What the brother's doing to her now. Who's in charge of everything. What can she do? Um, like their solution was literally just to take her to a a mental health institution, like a loony bin or an asylum. Because when you get depressed, that's what happens to you. Now she, she had been self-harming herself. She had been cutting herself and doing some other things to her body that she should do. And again, we are talking about Vita Winter's mother or Emma and Adeline's mother and those are the twins from the Angelfield house yeah because that's the other thing is that you do find out that Vida Winters is not her real name it's one of the truths that she gives Margaret her name um she does have a different name Adeline March and that is like public record that was one of her truths yeah so you find out like kind of how this story is all connected and how it goes through and does everything. I mean, honestly, though, like, some of the stuff that I just loved about this whole book is um, a lot of it is the discovery. Like, there's a lot of discoveries, like yes. happenstance discoveries. Margaret finding out about her twin. Um, Emmeline and Adeline how they grew up and like found out about certain things, how, um, how Isabel found out about stuff, how the housekeeper, the governess and the, the gardener found out about stuff. It's all, um, even, uh, Aurelius, um, how he discovers stuff. There's always just like this, this air of mystery behind it. Yeah. Um, it's so like beautiful at the same time it the is. way Diane Setterfield is able to to create the surroundings the imagery of Margaret riding up to Vida's house you're like okay she's on a train in the countryside and then she gets in a car but it's you're like okay plot line not that exciting her imagery and how she writes it and the discoveries that Margaret's making throughout the whole thing or observations. It's just so well written that you're like, 
No, I am on that train with her. Yeah. Um, and even like inside the house, like the house yeah. is so big, so empty, so vast. But then at the exact same time, like so covered, so hidden. Yeah. Huge thick drapes, like tons of pillows, tons of comforters. Um, like even in the even in the library where yeah. she spent a lot of her time, it was a big pillowy like couch in the the corner and a lot of a lot of imagery like rich imagery through the whole thing it was it was all just very descriptive very descriptive but not in a sense where you're like okay I get it be done it you just kind of get lost in it yeah and it wasn't um, too much like it was like it was like you walked into the room and you saw everything but it wasn't like there's too much detail about all the pillows on the couch or what all like every thread on the curtain was like, it was just, it was just, it showed you the room and you Mm -hmm. knew what the room looked like. I mean, even the grotesque parts because Charles, Mm -hmm. he's the brother, he's the uncle of Vida and her sister. Um, and he, uh, He's very much of a recluse, and he's another person who is not necessarily fully mentally developed, and he has tantrums, and they lose their mother when they're young. The father just locks himself away, but then becomes obsessed with Isabel. Um, It's just, like, the possession, the obsession, like... Well, he was kind of... Just... Like, when we first kind of meet him as, like, a 10-year-old, I think, because I think he's 10 years older than... If I remember correctly, yeah. he's, like, 10 years older than his sister. He's a very naughty child. Like, mm-hmm. he, he knew how to cause trouble so people would not come back to work at the Angelfield house. He hurt people. He is... Yeah. He, he, from a very young age he was very abusive. And when Isabel got older, he started kind of abusing her, but she, she just kind of took it and accepted it and kind of did it back to him. She did it back to him him in her way where she knew it would hurt him the most. Yeah. Like she knew like, she really knew the heart of the pain. Yeah. She was able to do that with everybody in her life because she did that with her dad. She did that with Charles, her brother, yeah. who were both big abusers of her. And so you're just kind of, you feel so sorry for her. Um, but then when she does some of that stuff, you're like, man, you just really got to the gut of it. You just, like, zero to 60 just went there. Totally. Um, but then it's, like, so hard for you to sympathize with the other two characters knowing what they did to her. Yeah. Um, well, not she, she told her dad that she was going to get married, he flipped out. The next thing he knows, he's got a handful of hair with her scalp in it. Yeah. And she's running out the door. And he doesn't remember, like... What like and he like beat her not only just pulled her hair but like she was bloodied and bruised yeah and you know he he doesn't remember he doesn't remember doing that to her like right. his his rage he saw black 
and he just he couldn't see anymore yeah like Charles just abused her I don't think I'm trying to remember if the author I think the author came right out and said it about Charles and then it was alluded about the father of like some sexual abuse definitely Charles um, it's hard to definitely say definitely Charles dad, because that but... was that was part of the thing is like when Isabel came back with these twins they were trying to like figure out the dates of like when she left how old the twins were because they... there was definitely like there it was like the household rumor between the gardener and the maid that you know there was a possibility that these twins were Charles Charles's twins yeah because she left around the time or you know the babies were about the age yeah. that, that and she, she might Mar- have been. She had married she had married the one guy so quickly and yeah. she knew it was her out. She knew she had to do it. She knew she just had to leave and get out of that house. And that was before her father like flipped out. Ripped her hair out with her skull scalp and everything. I mean it was it was very heavy and it was just like it was the setup for the whole house. Oh, it reminded me a little bit of uh Grey Gardens. Did you ever see that with Drew Barrymore? And I can't remember who else. Where it was just like this fine house and these kind of like socialites who just end up becoming these hoarders and like can't leave their house. And it's just like they end up in this just decrepit like living situation that they just can't get out of. And it was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, Yeah. like, when they go into Charles's room, like, before Charles disappears, it's like, or right when he disappears, and they finally go into his room, and they realize what he's been doing while living in there, which is basically so just disgusting. living in there, not throwing anything away, not doing anything. It's just so gross that they so are gross. literally like, yeah, we tried to clean it out, but we ended up just having to, like, shut the doors of the nursery. After they took his sister away, he basically went and hid himself in the nursery because he couldn't stand life at the house without her. Yeah. And so he just went and shut himself in his childhood nursery bedroom, basically, and couldn't handle life as an adult. Not that... I mean, yeah, like, they would comment about how he would come out at some point. There was clues of him coming out. But they never really knew the time of day or when it was going to happen or anything like that. He did have to sign checks and stuff like that. Um, You know, so it like he did have to make somewhat of appearance, but not anything to the to the extent of actually a functioning person. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Or a semi functioning person. He just literally just didn't exist. I yeah I mean there's just like there's so much there's not a lot of characters but there's so much impact on the characters the governess Hester Hester Brown you just kind of like don't like her and then I mean the twins you you grow up with these twins from their birth with Isabel just kind of waltzing back in not giving literally like not caring what these twins are doing yeah they and just, then Hester, they were kind of let to just do whatever they wanted. Yeah, I mean, it, it's perfect. Like the feral, feral children is exactly what they were. They were definitely wild children. Now, I I do wonder, like, if there had been some, because there was questions if it was um Charles, they were Charles's, like if it, yeah. if you know they're because of the the family incest, if they were mentally 
um, disabled because of that. Yeah. Or because she maybe had, maybe they had fetal alcohol syndrome because she drank a lot. I don't yeah. know, but like you, you just think that there's also something kind of like you'd think there would have been something wrong else besides just wild children, but maybe they were just wild children. Right. But I mean, they definitely didn't have any discipline. There's the whole story of how they took the tram from somebody like somebody in the village had had a child and they took the tram and like all of a sudden they're just like hanging the laundry and then all of a sudden it was gone yeah and the girl's and the just still in it the baby's still the in baby the was baby still tram. in it so they're like oh my gosh like where is it at like you know what's going on how does somebody just take this thing and the girls just took the baby and like it was just like if it wasn't in their direct concern or direct what they were concerned with in that direct moment, it was just non-existent to them. And so it's like they don't really know if the girls wanted to hurt the child or not because the child was found. And the child was safe. They took the baby. So they took the baby out of the tram and then Adeline climbed into the tram and went flying down the hill on it while Emmeline like, cheered her on I guess I mean yeah and they were like there you could tell that there was like the intention that they were going to take turns but they didn't care about the fact that there was a baby they just wanted the they just wanted the new thing to ride down a hill like that's what their concern was they had like the twin language and they like it was just like all of these different little pieces and things to it it honestly reminded me of there's a true crime case of the twin sisters who spoke in their twin language and they would write ferociously. I cannot remember the name of the twins, but they would write all these things. They would act out all this stuff. They would do all the, all of this different stuff. And then they meant they eventually ended up getting taken into an Institute and they would find that they would do the same things at the same times and they would be separated because it was also the point when Hester decides to separate with the doctor, they separate the twins and, um, it did not go well because well, Adeline, Adeline just went completely comatose. Yeah. Emmeline eventually kind of started to like, get better. Integrate. she was able to like, they were able to get some type of routine with her. She was able to get clothes. She was able, like, she would do a food schedule. She wanted to have a shower or a bath, you know. She, she wanted communicated to communicate better. She, she actually communicated. So she was actually not. And Adeline was the feral one who would abuse Emily, much like Charles would abuse Isabel. But Emily definitely had an upper hand and knew like what she would let Adeline get away with and wouldn't get away with. And the true crime story with these twins was they got put into an Institute and um, eventually like they did all these studies where the twins, they would put one of them in a pose. The other one would be in the same pose, like on a different floor where they couldn't see each other, like all this different stuff. And one of them ended up passing away from heart failure and when they asked her sister about it, her sister all of a sudden could talk. She was completely, fo- like, 
she was completely functional. Mm. She ended up to go on and have like a normal life. But when they asked her what happened, they were like, we decided one of us had to die. And she was the one who volunteered. And she literally like from that, like her heart just stopped. Like, it's just like kind of a mystery. It's so insane. But this, like that reminded me of this twin at Peril so much. Cause you're just like, this is crazy. I've also my entire life, like we were joking around, like with the intro, like what should it be? <laughs> I like, I younger than my sisters. And I remember being like, I wish I was a twin. I wish I had a twin. I wish da da da. And like, after reading this book, I'm like, nope, I'm good. I don't need to be a twin. I don't need I'm that. happy. I don't already, need this craziness. She's already a Gemini, everybody. So she's, she's <laughs> like a not, twin at heart or something. Right. I already have my dueling personalities. Um, but yeah, it's like, oh my gosh. There's just so much to it. Like you could just talk in circles about like one thing. Yeah. It's just because, the digger. Yeah. The, like all the characters. There's Yeah. I just I don't I mean, and I feel like we could talk about Vida. Yeah. But then I'm like, do we tell the the twist? You know, like there's just so much no. that it's so hard. Go read it. Just go read it, folks. Yeah, I don't want to give away the twist I because don't. the twist the twist was so good. The when you find out the mystery and you find out everything, it just is so good and it kind of takes me back like with the 13th tale. I might not actually be able to ask you this on on air, Sheila, but it it was one of the lasting mysteries for me if the 13th tale was actually the little bit of story that Vida tells at the end, or if the 13th tale was actually what Margaret ended up writing at the end about what she had discovered. <sighs> and she tells, she tells the twisted Cinderella story. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh, that's the 13th tale. Yeah. But then I it, think it, you then you kind of go on to like get the rest of the story and you're like, Oh wait, is this the 13th tale? I feel like there's, it's kind of like, like a double entendre kind of a little bit. Yeah. Because the, the twisted Cinderella fairy tale, it emulated Vida's real life story. Right. Very much. And so I think it was, you know, it's like one in the same. It's right. just one is, a shortened fairy tale one that people would be maybe enchanted with. Whereas if people really knew Vida's real story, it's not as enchanting. It's not as enchanting and it's not, it's, it's very intriguing and it's very like, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. And so many other things. So I feel like there are kind of, the same thing in a way you know what I yeah mean? no I get it I get what you say like you can kind of take it both ways um the thing the thing that I did enjoy is that sometimes books like wrap it up to be like this perfect little bow yeah and I did like that Diane Setterfield Stutter, uh, did kind of do that but still left it with its own intrigue and own mysteries and like yeah. It's just like, like you can kind of like you can kind of have an idea of where it goes, but it's not like 
This right. is absolutely what happens. It's like so like the cat is not Margaret's to begin with. It's actually Vida's right. cat. And when Vida passes away, the cat comes with Margaret because she mm-hmm. and the cat have been friends. And the doctor <laughs> comes and, and throughout the whole book I'm like, that doctor likes you, Margaret. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> and when the doctor comes and visits the bookshop like six months later or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, the cat seems sad. I wonder if he'd be happier living with me out in the country or whatever. And it, and it becomes like, hey, you should come come live and visit with me for a few months. Yes, Margaret's even like, um, I don't think I could give up the cat. And he was like, no, like both of you could come. <laughs> like you guys are so gonna get married, <laughs> or at least yeah. just live, or live together and have a relationship. Yeah. I don't care whatever you're gonna do, but it was just I'm like you're definitely gonna have some sort of relationship. I know that, or at least that's how I felt. <laughs> I don't know if that's how you felt, but I just oh, thought it was no, absolutely, absolutely. I thought it was hilarious that this quirky little cat showed up into the the story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because almost every book we have a cat in it. I know. It's so funny. We really don't we really don't mean to do it, people. Hey, have we even yeah. talked about I know this has nothing to do with any of this. <laughs> have we talked about my new cat? I don't Your think new we cat? Have. Bella. Oh, yeah. I, I don't mean, think we've talked about it on the air. No. Yeah, she got her new cat. I got a new cat, everybody. Her name's Bella. She's beautiful. She is really cute. She's very pretty. (laughs) Bella. Bella. Every time we talk about Bella, I always have to say it with an Italian accent once. A horrible Italian accent once. Bella. Bella. That's what we say. (laughs) Well, Dash and I say it, and Eric's like, why do you call her baby? I'm like, she's a baby. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know Every time you keep saying baby Bella I just think of a baby portobello mushroom <laughs> I don't know where that came from Yeah Not a mushroom I feel really bad that I feel like the the giveaway is so good That we don't give it away And it's kind of hard It's kind of hard to talk about everything So I'm going to go to this next point who are your favorite characters, and what? Who is your least favorite character? Oh, um, I like John the Dick. Yes. And I liked Aurelius. Is I'm saying? Am I saying that right? Yeah, Aurelius. Yeah. I like them. Um, so John the Dig was the gardener for the Angelfield House, and he was just kind of this like no nonsense guy but he cared and he worked hard and he after the uncle Charlie Charles died you know he kind of took over and like made sure all the girls were okay mm-hmm. you know he, he's a good man um so I liked him and then Aurelius like I, I don't know he's just kind of like this the first time you kind of meet him he's like this big surprising giant according to margaret because he's Mm. really tall he's like six plus inches or six feet plus but he is like just so kind-hearted and he has a mystery that he's trying to figure out and 
I don't he just he has a connection to Angelfield. He doesn't really know. Yeah. Like he thinks he he came from the Angelfield house because he was put on a doorstep the night that it burned down and he smelled like smoke and so he thinks that he's from there. He just doesn't he doesn't know the truth and there's just a lot of things there, but I I just I just really kind of liked I liked who he was. I feel like it's really hard not to like him because he was definitely one of my my top favorite characters. What about you? I actually really liked Margaret's dad. Yeah. Um, He was very much like I just liked how he he's just that peacekeeper guy. Like he wanted to keep the peace between his wife and his daughter. He wanted to take care of his daughter. He wanted to make sure. Like, you could tell that he loved that she took on his love of books um, and care of books. I also really enjoyed, like, just the little little things that parents do where, you know, she was up all night reading the Vita Winters books and he would bring her soup and everything and be like, don't stay up reading another book. Like, get right. some rest. Eat some food. Yeah. Do some of this stuff. But then he's also the one who, um, because of their connections from the um, estate sales for him to get some of their their books and, and, and novels for their bookshop, the rare books, um, he's able to connect Margaret with some people to find out some of the information and get some research done. So I feel like he's just kind of like that guardian who's going to be there for her and and wants her to take opportunity and do new things, but also loves that she loves what he does so much. Yeah. I, uh, I'm trying to think, not that I disliked her character and not that I like really overly enjoyed her character, but I did, I did get a lot of intrigue by Isabel. There was, there was some things about her where I was just like, I felt so sorry for her yeah, and the situation that she was in just from the very beginning. Um, and to see her life just like go so tragically the way it did. Yeah. Because uh, she was definitely a character that I was, like, rooting for and wanted her to do well. And yeah. I was kind of, like, that way with um, the missus. Like, she really meant well, and she tried. Yeah. She just, you know, just had nobody to help her, kind of. Yeah. And she kept getting older, and life, you know, you get older and you you can't see as well and you can't do things as well. Like and I felt <laughs> right. towards the end of the, um, the Mrs. Life, like she, you start to see she's, she's probably got um, Alzheimer's or maybe yeah. dementia. And, and that's, you know, that back then I don't know exactly what they called it. John the dig was like, I'm not sending her away because I'd never see her again. Yeah. And, so him keeping her there kind of extended her life and he really took care of her along with um Vida mm. and you know they really they really loved her Vida and John the Dig they really yeah. loved the misses and I was like she meant so well she just didn't have the resources or the help to make 
make things work out, I think. Yeah. I know. I was about to ask you, like, who your dislikes are, but I feel like the dislike, the unlikable characters in this book are so obvious that it's, like, they're written to be unlikable. Right. Well, and I'll be honest, like, I wasn't, like, yeah, so, like, I'm not a big Charlie fan, and, um... Right. For obvious reasons, I didn't... Vida, like, Vida was intriguing, but I wasn't like, oh, I like you. Like, I got to where I liked her better. Mm-hmm. I got to where I liked her better towards the end. Where you definitely have some sympathies for her. And... Well, and you start to learn more, like, more of the truth. Yeah. Of who she is and what really happened. And, like, her background. But, like, initially, I was like, I don't know about you. And I would even say, like, Margaret isn't even, like, a favorite character. She's just kind of a... I mean, she's definitely just, like, that narrating character where she's... She's She's kind of neutral. She's just, like, your investigative, like, neutral person. Like, your journalist. I mean, she had her background. She had a background and a story to tell, too. But it wasn't ever anything that, like, I was really intrigued by her story. Or I cared about her story. I mean, not that I didn't care about her and her twin and her parents and the grief that they all felt. Right. About the twin that they lost. Because I did care about that. It was just, it wasn't a, I didn't really feel like I had much of a connection with her. I guess. Wasn't as pressing. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. There was like. I don't know. There was something about the housekeeper that I didn't like. I didn't like her at first, but then. But it was also just one of those things where I'm like, she probably just, I mean, obviously Vida was very old. She was very sick. She had to keep a secret, too. And once that secret came out, like. She was able to open up and really do stuff. And yeah. yeah. So there's that. So I just feel like once. Seriously, once all the secrets started coming out, you started kind of liking people because they weren't, like, so uptight or um, afraid to tell or talk the truth or speak the truth. Yeah. It was definitely, like, it was very freeing. Like, you saw it with um, Vida's housekeeper, how, like, once once the secret was out, like, Yeah. She... she was a different woman. Yeah, absolutely. So that's yeah, what happens, folks. I mean, Don't keep secrets. <laughs> I know. I feel like this next question just goes without saying because we both have already said it so many times. Okay, I'm not even going to ask it. I'm recommending this book. Go read it. The twist is worth it. The imagery is worth it. The writing is kind of prose kind of poetic it sets it up nicely I mean there's a there's a couple things where it's like a little contrived because it's like I'm an author I'm going to tell you this story and there's a beginning (laughs) middle and an end and you can't ask questions yeah don't ask questions that's a question so it's like you're like uh, it's a little contrived at, in, in the beginning a little bit because you're like, oh, I get it. You're an author. You're going to be mysterious. Right. And then there's just a point where that 
I mean, I would say probably after like the first uh, 80 pages, like that just kind of like breaks away a little bit yeah. and you're like, Oh, what's this? I what's must know more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sheila, your yeah. thoughts. Go read it. Cause we can't tell you the twist. I mean, we can, yeah. but there's we, no we could, fun in that. But we don't want to be jerks. Like, just go read I it. just go. don't want to be that person because this go. is like this is definitely yeah. a book with a twist that's worth yes. it's worth, worth it. reading. And or if you don't have the time to read it, go get your use your Audible credit and get it and you listen to it while you drive around or clean house or yeah. whatever it is. However you listen to your audiobooks, like just go do it. You're not gonna be disappointed, I don't think. I mean, if you are disappointed, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I disagree if you are disappointed <laughs> it's your fault oh one thing that I will say in this that I got from this book I have I purchased the book Jane Eyre a couple years ago yeah and I read it and I tried to put it down and or I put it down <laughs> and I, I tried to pick it back up and I put it down and in caps, at, like, towards the end of this, I was like, I need to read Jane Eyre. I'm pretty sure I read it in college. And also, the Joffrey Ballet in Chicago is doing Jane Eyre right now, or they're about to open it, yeah. the ballet for Jane Eyre. And I was like, oh, I want to see that, but I'm not going to be able to because I think I'm out of town yeah. when they're doing it. I'm but. pretty sure I read it. In college, I had a class called um, Women's Literature or something like that. And Jane Eyre and uh, a bunch of those, like, well, like Charlotte Bronte. And, you know, there's yeah. just, like, all, like, basically I had to read all those. And so, um, and I feel like my head is, you know, it's been almost 20 years. And now mm-hmm. I'm, like, putting them all together. <laughs> But I do probably need to read Jane Eyre again because it's been a long time since I've read it. Yeah. And a lot of books in between. <laughs> yeah, I, I did read a bunch of, of classics that I've thoroughly enjoyed, but that one I have not I have not been able to to really do it and narrow it down. Yeah, so people go. Go read it. Go, go enjoy read it. it. I think Tell you'll enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy it. Go read it. What have you pulled from your bookshelf, Sheila? So I did this. I did um, for book club. We read The Stranger Diaries by Ellie Griffiths. I was really good. It's a like a gothic murder mystery type novel. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. That one had, again, it was another twist that I totally didn't see coming. Like, she had her hints and her clues in there, but it just didn't, like, she was always able to redirect me with another character or another thought. So I, I really enjoyed that. I'm finishing up The Darkest Night by Ron Francel, and it it's a true crime novel, and it's actually based on a, a murder rape that happened in my hometown, um, and the girls were actually kidnapped. Like, they, they were from my neighborhood. It happened in 73. It was before I was born, mm-hmm. but 
I grew up with this story. And so I decided to read it or I listened to it because I was driving home two weeks ago. It really hit home because like the way he was describing Casper, I was like, oh, I know that part. Oh, yeah. He just said that street and oh, that the girls lived, you know, a street down from us and probably five, six, seven blocks south of us and like I just I everything I just saw everything I see everything that he's talking about because it was my home and um but it's a really good story um if you want to if you want a really good true crime story and kind of like the tragedy of it because one of the girls is murdered and the other one and their other one is raped and they're both thrown off a bridge and what um one survives the fall and one doesn't. And then it's kind of about like the trial and then how the one that survived Becky, the oldest sister, how, you know, how she kind of went on with life for after that and what happened to her. So it's a really great book. And then what else? That's it right now. Cause I'm trying oh. to finish, trying to finish things. I don't want to mix things up because yeah. I feel like even though we read 13th Tale and then I immediately went into Stranger Diaries, <laughs> I was kind of mixing them up a little bit. So I get book club, somebody was like, Jane Eyre. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was mentioned in this book. And I was like, oh, wait, that's the wrong book. <laughs> well, it's a different book. That's so, funny. What about you? I can't remember if I talked about this last time. No, I did. Um, so that one I talked about. I So I listened to a couple different books. I listened to The Conception of Terror. It's an Audible original. And it was um, like four hour long, like scary stories that were pretty fun. good. One of them was really fun where it was about this guy who got into like voodoo and like a witch doctor or like runes a little bit and then he ended up cursing people and then it's kind of like how they reacted to it and how they kind of went crazy a little bit I listened to Midnight at the Bright Ideas bookstore which was another one that was really intriguing which I totally understand what you mean about mixing them up because there was one point where I was like, oh, yeah. And then this happened because it was like the father daughter, <laughs> like Margaret and her father in the 13th tale. This yeah. one I was like, yeah, but the father had to like choose between the daughter. And I was like, nope, that never happened. That was this book. Um, <laughs> and I was listening to this book as I was reading, not at the exact same time, but while I was reading right. the other one. Um, but this book was really good. And it's kind of like um, a girl that had had survived one night from the hammer man and it takes place in Denver. Mm. Um, so it was kind of fun to like hear about like kind of home, kind of home. Place um, you know, or, yeah, yeah. In just a different way, like in a, a really homey way. But yeah, that one was really good. But she, as a child stayed the night at her friend's house and the hammer man came in and killed the family and basically, like, she always grew up thinking she was, like, so smart and hid from him. And then as an adult, they were like, yeah, no, there was, like, blood literally trailing to where you were at. Like, the hammer man let you live. 
she works at a the Bright Ideas bookstore. There was a suicide in there, and it's kind of like he leaves stuff to her, and then it's like, why did he leave this stuff to her? How does it tie into everything else, and how does it tie into this thing that she experienced as a child? It was really good. Um, I listened to Treasure Island. Oh, yeah? I know this story well. I know it especially from, like, the Disney movies and all Mm -hmm. that stuff growing up. I've never read or listened to this book before, and it was so much fun. That's good. It was it was really good. Um, this was actually a Reese Witherspoon suggestion. I listened to Daisy Jones and the Six, and it's kind oh, of yeah. like I've it's seen the so um, good. Yeah, the the recommendation. Sure. Yeah, it is so good. And it's just kind of, like, about this, like, 70s rock band who was, like, the hottest band in the world and, like, why they broke up and how everything. But they do. It's, like, a full-studded cast. Like, Jennifer Beals, I think it was, like, Benjamin Benjamin Bratt, Judy Greer, and a couple other people. They voice all the different characters. And it flashes back and forth between all the bandmates. And it tells their stories of how they became the, the biggest band ever. And then I started listening to The Things They Carried by Tim O'Brien. And this, so my roommate in college when I moved to Chicago, this is one of her all-time favorite books. She has been telling me for years and years and years, Mm -hmm. like, well, well over a decade to read this book. And I've just never been able to do it. And then finally I saw that it was an audible. Like they had just, they had just turned it into like an audible. Brian Cranston is the narrator for it. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to that. And it's about soldiers during the Vietnam war. And there was like this part, like I texted her and I was like, okay, I started it. I'm like 45 minutes in. I love it. I should have read this book years ago. She's like, I know I told you. And then I was just like messaging her the other day because I'm like a little bit into it. And I was like, the part with the water buffalo is like so sad and like haunting and beautiful and sad. And I was like, I'm driving in my car trying not to cry. She was like, I know it's intense. It's intense because you feel for the animal, but you feel for the the people because one of the soldiers essentially just like tortures this water, like this water buffalo. And Mm. it's just kind of one of those things where like, it's like this animal understands the circumstances that it's in. And so it doesn't do anything to fight or run away. And then it's like the soldiers are literally just dealing like they don't know how to deal with what the circumstance that they're in. Right. And so they just like kind of this guy just kind of tortures this water buffalo because he has nowhere else to release any of his anger or anything. And so you're like, this is so messed up. But then you're like, you feel for both so much. And then I'm almost done with um, Stay Sexy and Don't Get Murdered. By Georgia Hardstark and Karen Kilgariff. You've done a lot. Yeah. I've listened to a lot. I've been working a lot and driving a lot, so I've been able to listen to a lot. Sheila, do you want to announce our next book? Yes. (laughs) I'm like, like, I have to do that? Um, We talked about this. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) The autobiography of Santa Claus for December is what we will be reading. And it's by... Jeff 
Gwyn. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. G-U-I-N-N. Sounds like Gwyn. Gwyn, right? That's what I was thinking. So, um, yeah. the autobiography of Santa Claus to get us into the Christmas spirit. Um, and this is the story of St. Nicholas, and it's based on um, historical facts and kind of laced with some magic about how Santa Claus became Santa Claus and how he is able to, you know, how it all kind of worked and happened and everything. So, um, yes, I think it'll be a fun book. And then there is a, a sequel to it, and it's about Mrs. Claus. So we were thinking this year we'll read this one, and next year we'll read about Mrs. Claus. So Yes, we did, we did discuss that. So we're going to, we, we already got next December planned. Hopefully we remember this discussion <laughs> in a year. <laughs> right? If we don't so, forget it. But that's our book. So yeah, if you want to so, read it with us, go pick it go, up. Yeah, go check it out. Yeah, everybody, thanks for joining us. I'm um, sorry we're so cryptic this month about this month's book. But if you read it, trust us, it's worth it. You'll understand why we had to be cryptic. Yeah. Go check out the 13th Tale. Go check it. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram. Email us at potheadswhoread at gmail. Mm-hmm. Um, rate, review, subscribe yeah. on all your listing platforms. Is that everything? I think so, yeah. Something all like right. that. Something like that. <laughs> um, all right, everybody. Thank you for reading with us. And go crack a book open. Bye. Bye.